Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Athletics for Life. Uh, today, we have a very special guest from Cairo, Egypt. Sidi, can you introduce him? Uh, sure. Our guest today is uh, Mr. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, we met briefly uh, during some coursework that we took with the NIAAA, um, some international courses. Uh, he was in there and just struck me as a, a great guy with a wealth of experience to talk to. Uh, he's taught literally all over the world, first teaching in Venezuela, uh, going to Cairo, to Beirut, uh, to Tianjin, where he, he met some people that Jeff knows pretty well, uh, and then back to Cairo, where he's at currently. And so throughout there, he's had a lot of, uh, a lot of experience that, uh, you know, is, is really interesting. And I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, to learn more from him. You know, he mentioned uh, just in some emails and some communication before the show, that uh, he's renovated a couple gyms. Uh, he's organized multiple different clubs. He organized a ski club for students when he was in China, um, and and just seems to be very focused on on students and and building these opportunities for students. So, no, I'm interested to uh, talk to Scott and kind of pick his brain a little bit on uh, developing these programs. And uh, over to Scott. Let's go to Scott. Hey, Scott. How's it going? Hello, Scott. Good morning. Good afternoon. It's afternoon. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, school's just finished. So, uh, uh, so you guys are done for the week, or you got one more day? One more day. We teach one on more. Fridays. <laughs> you guys have Fridays off, right? Yeah, it's just the weekend is Friday, Saturday. As soon as you get here and you transfer, uh, okay. it's it's the same. It's, for sure. You know, for sure. Except that as a North American, I, I, you continue to say on Monday, we'll do this. And you mean on Sunday. Yeah, definitely. That's the first day of the week, you know? So, uh, yeah. Um, it's great to have you on Scott. I know we had a little bit of difficulty finding a time that worked with the, uh, the time zones and my, uh, my, uh, errors in judgment, I guess, and just, uh, <laughs> mistakes, but, uh, you know, I'm glad we found a time that works. No, no. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate your work and the work of everybody, you know, in this this organization and the other organizations with whom we get the pleasure to to do this kind of work. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a little bit. We met uh, at the NI AAA conference. Uh, we were in a couple classes. We took the uh, the international classes together, uh, all the uh, nine hundred courses. And so, uh, no, it was, it was great to connect through there, and then uh, reached out and you shared a few things with me, a few documents and stuff. Um, and so for anyone that's watching, why don't you just, uh, tell a little bit more about yourself, where you're at in the world and kind of what you're doing. Okay. Well, when, when I met you at those courses, I was taking the, the, um, NIAA, NIAAA, you know, just tra more professional development for athletic directors. And I think they're a great organization that has created these great courses. And, you know, I'm fortunate I, I passed the NIAA CIAA exam this week. And so all good. But for right. me, yeah, thank you. It, it, and it wasn't, it wasn't anything. It was just finishing the courses and then getting, finding a time to do it. And, you know, it was, it was just kind of more of what we do, but yeah, it's all good. It's always good to get stuff done. But for me, I've been an international teacher since 1994. I, I left um, New Hampshire, a place I know and love where I, where I grew up in greater Boston and then went to New Hampshire. And I kind of have always been an avid, you know, sports person. My family has, is athletes. My, my Italian-American family, my grandfather was a boxer. My uncle was a basketball player who played in the NBA. And my, my uncle's, my grandfather's brother went to Cleveland and they have a, a son who was in 
the football hall of fame, a long time Cleveland Brown. So oh, wow. I have this Lavelli hella heritage and then I, I just liked playing sports. So, you know, when I would graduated from college in the mid eighties and was working in a construction job with a business degree, I looked at the people practicing on the side of the road and I said, I want to go back to my phys ed minor. And, and my mother had been a teacher and I, you know, seven years later, I was, took my first job in 93 as a, after I went back and got my master's degree as an elementary teacher in a little school in North central New Hampshire at Wentworth elementary school, a beautiful, beautiful place and special magical little place. And then while I was there, I, by chance, I was looking at different options and I looked abroad and it was early in the international school scene. And I went to a job fair in Boston. I had a bunch of interviews and I took a job in Caracas, Venezuela in the fall of 94 and off and running, you know, you've been abroad since, right? Wow. Yeah, I went home one year when I got to Venezuela. I, I met um, my wife there. The first weeks there, her mother had worked at the school. She's a you know, beautiful family, beautiful lady. And she came home. We went one year to the U.S. in 96, 97. And then we both went abroad teaching because she had been an interpreter, but she had one year of teaching experience. And we got a job here in Cairo at a different school for 97, 98. And then in 98, we went to Beirut at a good little school at the American Community School. And I had a bunch of great colleagues, some Canadians and, and Americans. And then from there, we went to Tianjin, China for 13 years from 2001 through 2014. And from 2014 to now, we've been here and back in Cairo at the really great school at Cairo American College. So Scott, sorry. Sorry, it's good to meet you, Scott, because uh, CD talked a lot about you uh, in the 900 courses. Unfortunately, I, I wasn't there. I've done, I've done the courses in the in the in the spring, um, so I did them before. Um, but you just mentioned Tianjin, and we both know people from Tianjin uh, IST, right? So Bill Elman and Eleanor Surich, and uh, he's my director right now here in Mongolia. So that's great. <laughs> Oh, they, they were my next door neighbors. Tell them that I, I, I long to bring them warm cookies at eight o'clock in the evening on the nights I'm baking cookies. But yes, <laughs> Tianjin, Tianjin is in my blood. And, and, you know, I spent a lot of time there and we were fortunate to adopt our second child in China in Changsha while we were working early in the time working in Tianjin. And yeah, so I, I relate to you guys in Mongolia. Now it's March, March 11th and, and the days are longer and it gets warmer quicker. But yeah, <laughs> we really, I really enjoy going skiing up near Inner Mongolia, where they're going to have the Olympics in in north, um, north in the Hebei province, north of Beijing, at Wanlong and near Chongli. Such a cool place. So you, you've been kind of all over. You've a uh, little bit of time. You started in South America, then the Middle East, and now in China, back to the Middle East. Um, what, what was it like, kind of switching cultures, going from one to the other? I've only been in Mongolia. Uh, this was my first international job, and I've been here since. Um, so I'm kind of curious. Uh, what was it like going from you know Egypt to China back to Egypt? Uh, well, you, you guys are just a younger or? version of me. You're just 20 years. You know, 20 years have gone <laughs> by, and then you're in the same place. So I think you learn. Now you've taken your first job and you learn that it's different working at a, in a different country and there's all kinds of different things and they take you out to get your visa. You have to wait for things. So I think once you've done what you do, when I went to the second job, it was not difficult. And then I went to the third job and then you meet more international people and you just learn the ropes. I mean, I do think it takes you the first year in any country to learn the country. You're, you're kind of new about feeling out the school, feeling out how things work in the country. 
where you are, but I think you guys will, you know, you're early in your careers, you'll move on to other institutions and you, you have the experience of, of moving abroad. And I think that will serve you well when you go to the next place. I don't think the culture shock is so much different, but there'll just be different things that will be your challenges in the new place. For sure. Yeah, it's always that first two, three months, right? And then it's over. It's that honeymoon period where you're just adapting to a new culture. I had that when I, because I lived in China for four years. I was in China, uh, in the south, in Guangzhou area. And then I moved to Mongolia and I had to adapt. It was uh, it was a tough time for me to adapt uh, from China to Mongolia, actually. It's such a different culture. Uh, but yeah, it's about three months and then it's over. <laughs> Yeah, once you do those first three months, you become like all the rest of the teachers who have been there for three years, you know, 13 years, whatever, you know, it, it, especially once you've been an international teacher. So you were living in China already for four years. You, you had already the culture shock of being abroad that doesn't need to be adjusted to just the new place in the in the certain, you know, little things that are, are different about each new place. Scott, can I uh, continue on that? Because you've been a long time in Tianjin. Um and so how long do you normally stay in an international school? Because, um, you know, we are, I'm, I'm here, this is my fourth year now. CD has been here a bit longer. When do you really feel I have to move on? Is that depending on the, on the programs you're running or just personal? I think there's, there's a lot of factors that come into that. Personal will, will is one. Where you are with your family and your situation is another. Where you are in life, when you're younger, you're looking to move more maybe when you're older and you start settling. When you have children, it, the move is different. You know, when we moved from um, Tianjin to China, my son who left Tianjin after 13 years, he got there as a two-year-old. He was like 14 when we left and he'd never been anywhere else. He was in shock, you know, like didn't speak for, for two days. And, and, and then luckily when we moved into Cairo, in his cohort, in his class, he made some cool friends right away that he played sport with and, and engaged in school. And he was very successful here. My daughter, it took longer. She was a sixth grader when she came here. And that whole sixth grade year was a challenge. There was, you know, she didn't miss much school, but there were a couple of days she stayed home. She was not comfortable. And yeah, it was, a, it was a challenge. But, you know, so I think it's different when you want to move on and you will know and I think when you go to look for a new job, the job picks you, the opportunity falls in place. You either go to a fair and you interview with X number of schools, you interview with six schools and one that fits for your situation will happen. So yeah, I think you just got to feel it out. I, I don't think there's anyone can give you advice on when you should move. You guys are, are young guys, you're doing a good thing and doing this podcast. I think your work is good. You're getting this training within NIAA. I think you'll be golden. You'll have, you'll get good jobs. Just, be careful of where you go and, and you, you'll know when to go. For sure. Um, kind of on that same vein, uh, talking about going to a new place. Uh, in one of the courses, I think it was in one of our breakout rooms, uh, they had asked us some prompt. I don't remember what the prompt was, uh, but you had kind of off the cuff just said, you know, I'm a systems guy. I, I like to put <laughs> systems in place. And that that resonated with me because I'm I'm part science teacher, part AD. And so, you know, just about making things efficient, putting things in order. Um, kind of how, how do you go about that when you go to a new school? I know you've been in Cairo now for you know, six, seven years. And so you've been there for a while. Um, but when you do go to a new school, how do you go about kind of implementing your procedures, your policies, getting all those things, you know, in order? I, I, that, I mean, I think that's a great question. 
I'm a systems guy, but I'm not as good at it as, as I should be. But I know that going to systems and making, you know, I write my emails in bullet points and, and I just, I'm very direct and straightforward. And I think systems and organizing yourself, organizing your mind, you know, you work with OCD people, everybody's got a little bit of OCD. <laughs> so yeah, I think that the systematic way of approaching things. So when you come into a new school, sometimes it, you're probably better served to feel out what is in place before you implement your systems and how you want to do things, because there's going to be a way that they do things there. Mm -hmm. um, I found that a little bit here, but, I, and I didn't change, and you just need to feel it out and then not change and figure out what you can change and where you can put in a systematic approach to either setting, you know, the rules in the, in the letter that you use for, for your travel guidelines or, you know, how you schedule the seasons or how you schedule the yep. facilities or the, there's all kinds of different things that will come into play. Yeah. Cause you had shared with I me. Love, um, I know that you reacted to that, to that comment about systems and uh, that, that made, that made me feel good. So thanks for that. But I, yeah, yeah. You had I, shared I, with me uh, the, like, I think it was a checklist for overnight stays and kind of the procedures and stuff. And uh, you know, looking through that, it seems when I see it, it seems so obvious to have something like that in place, you know, in the past going on overnight trips, it feels like you're kind of like, uh, you know, juggling 10 different things at once, trying to get visas and kids paying and letters from parents. And then you got to get out this form and that form. And so just, you know, it's, it, it's so obvious, but until you see it, you don't really know to implement it. So, uh, you know, I just want to say that, those things, thanks for sharing that. And, but I think most of those things are just wheels that you have borrowed and not reinvented. I know I did a, when I was in Acomis in China, when we, when yeah. we had, um, when I was in Tianjin, we were doing training with the Acomis meeting and, and I went through what, just the checklist that I was using when I hosted a tournament. And I think it had, it had a check, a checklist for the, for the billing and for the financial aspect and a chest checklist of the items you needed to accomplish when you're hosting a tournament. And I didn't create that. I just used, I just modeled something that I, that I got somewhere and I don't know where it came from, but I think, yeah, if you use systems like that, then you can't go wrong. And, I'm glad that what I had and sent to you was helpful and you will do the same thing as you move along. Definitely. Scott, in this, uh, in this podcast, we try to uh, promote the educational-based athletics philosophy, uh, talk to alumni, athletic directors, interesting people in the world of sports. What, do, what defines you? Uh, what's your philosophy on sports? And when you go to a new place or when you're somewhere, what really would you like to establish at the school? I think in my experience in working at these international schools, now that I've worked at a bunch and they, they all have different levels of where they compete and how they compete. But I think that the school should, when I'm talking about the high school teams, I think you should make teams everywhere you can through the school, run elementary tournaments, run middle school tournaments, just that fits the, the place you are and what you have available. But say our high school kids in, in my philosophy for how I want the program to serve them would be, I think that we want a program that is organized is has the number of practices that we determine it to have that, that fits well with the school and in what's happening in the students' lives. But if the, if the students can have an opportunity to play on a team that's well-structured, well-run, they, they try to win, but winning isn't the end, end of the day. But you, if you're running a well-structured, well-coached, teaching the right things, having the kids take it seriously, 
then you're going to have teams that go out and try to achieve. Winning isn't the end of the day, but I think the kids deserve to have a team that's doing the best they can to make them have the best team experience. So that's where I put high school, you know, athletics at the international school. And I think that probably serves most international schools because even if you have a kid who's going to play in division two, three, or even you have a superstar who wants to go play two in division one, the team and the formation and the competition that you get them should be at the highest level that you can bring it in, in the in the setting that you have. Yeah, definitely. I think does, does that answer that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a big difference, I think, between sports in the international setting and sports in the states. Um, you know, where sports in the U.S. seems to kind of run the high school, and you know, they make uh, exceptions for the athletes here and there. I think uh, you know, sports in the international schools definitely are more catered to the whole student, right? To developing them as a student, you know, encouraging them to be involved in other things other than sports as well. Um, your school's uh, fairly large, is it not, Scott? Uh, the school has 800 yeah. students, about 300 in the high school. Okay. So, yeah, they have quite a few opportunities. Our schools are relatively small. Um, we just have three main sports, three core sports with uh, volleyball, basketball, and uh, football, yeah. uh, and then various other things that we can offer. Um, so, uh, our kids, they tend to be pulled in a lot of different directions. You know, they're, the kids who are on the volleyball teams are on the basketball teams are on the football teams. They're the ones in the play. They're the ones in, you know, the computer club, everything. Uh, do you find that similar at your school or do you have a good mix? Um, how, just kind of uh, on, the, on the theme of getting kids involved and trying to reach as many kids as possible. Well, this school used to be bigger, it used to be 500 in the high school. And then I think they could separate and, and demand of kids that they have to choose. Since I've been here, it's not been that big. It's been 300 or less. And we have allowed the kids to share themselves to go in two directions, to be both an MUN and a student athlete, to be both in the play and a student athlete. And I think that's important for kids. You know, the first thing is, is academics. And I think oh, we you have such good students at the international school that the academics are not a problem. But there may be times where you have to change practices or let people out of practices due to academics. So we do the same on a one on, on an individual setting basis for a student that wants to be in the play. But it's hard. It's, is it fair to the team where everyone's coming to practice? We, you know, we're able to have four practices a week here or, or five even. Wow. In other years, when we had when when we were we were able to go on the weekends, so yeah, I think we support kids to do to do both things here now. I'm not sure that was before I was here, but when I was in Tianjin, when the school was the high school was smaller, there was only a hundred in the whole high school, or a little over 120. You know, you certainly had to allow kids be both in the play and have sports practice, but with four days a week, that's a bit of a challenge. So we just if there's a, a student that needs to have a special schedule, I think we, we do that in the interest of the student. And like I said, the, the team, you know, we, we want the kids to come and, and have the best experience at a team. You want them to be on a team. You want them to build a team, the team culture, learn sport. But if, if they're missing one and it's valid, usually those kids who are, who are the ones doing both are not problematic children, students. Or student <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very true. <laughs> So everyone's willing to, to, to bend for that 
that student because they're, they're the high flyers. And I think we have a lot of high flyers in the program and you guys probably do too. Yeah. Yeah. We got a bunch of them. <laughs> it's difficult sometimes for them to manage everything. Uh, especially our, our, our school is about 300 CD. Yours is a bit bigger, right? Slightly, but not much. I don't think. Yeah. So Slightly. it's not always easy to uh, manage everything for these kids. So we have to help them sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I know, you know, Mr. Elman well, and I know that he, he would support that. He's going to support to have the students in his school do both and no matter what it takes. And I think your whole community will, especially at a school that size. And I think here, it's been embraced since I've been here that we allow the students to do a number of things because the coaches know that they're high flyers. They're great students. They're, they're going to be high scorers on the IB exam and they want to do everything. And how can we say no to a student who just wants to do more? Scott, yeah, exactly. The, uh, yeah, exactly. Thanks so much. The, uh, the whole uh, pandemic, how has that influenced your programs and what if some of the systems you've implemented to uh, make things work or to offer different things for the kids? We were very fortunate. I think Cairo American College has done, has done a really nice job of handling the pandemic. We opened up on, last year we closed in March, this, this date, you know, a day after this last March, and we went virtual the rest of the year. When we came back this year, we planned on an August 18 opening. We did an August 18 opening. The elementary school has been full-time every week since then, except the very first week after winter break, we, we put the whole school virtual for one week. But when we came back on August 18, we came half time. So a blended model with a middle school and high school students were in every other day. And Tuesday became a, a, a virtual online day. So, so, they, so the, the four days were every other day. And we did that for some weeks, maybe five weeks. And then we brought the students back, the seniors back full time, the juniors back full time. And then we have them all back full time now. Um, after okay. the after the break, we had that one week virtual, and then we had two weeks of just the juniors, seniors, and then we've got them all back. You know, the same thing in the middle school, just the the sixth graders, and then we brought the seventh and eighth graders back. So now we're back with everybody. In the first season, we run three seasons here, so we'll run a season that goes from August till mid November, then we go mid November till mid March, then we go mid March to the end of May three seasons okay. and we do sure. three or four sports each season. So we have 12 sports. So in the first season we were, we did, we ran cross country volleyball and, and soccer as mitigated sessions, four days a week, reduced time, an hour and 15 minutes, three fifteen to four thirty, And we just did skills and hmm. it was better than nothing. And we extended that because we didn't start, at the very beginning, we didn't start till mid-October, so we extended it till the end of November until Thanksgiving, and then we we delayed the second season start. And in the second season, we only did swimming and basketball. We dropped dance and wrestling. I, I feel horrible for the senior kids who wrestled for five out of their six years that they were able to, but there was nothing we could do. And, and some of those wrestlers are in swimming, and they get it. We're in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then in season three, we're going to start next week with season three. I hope that we get to go eight weeks or nine weeks straight for the golf, tennis, track and field, baseball, and softball teams. I think all five of those are scheduled to start. We're going to run the same thing four days a week, shortened sessions, 3.15 to 4.30, mitigation measures in place, only skills. We're not, and in basketball this winter, we've been doing only skills, no opposing player. 
So they're doing a lot of contests and a lot of um, different work. The, thing, the problem with the basketball season is when we started back up and we had that week of virtual, we didn't have them in, and then we delayed them coming in. So they had like four weeks in December. And they've only had five weeks now. So they, they, got, they missed some opportunity, but we have kids playing sport and not many of the schools here in Cairo, the other international schools have done that. And I don't know how many in the world have, but we have them playing mitigated sessions. That's what we have done. Okay. How much of that was dictated to you from uh, like the government or from what you could do or couldn't do? And how much was that kind of self-imposed? Because we're finding here, a lot of it's like, okay, everything's virtual. You're at home, everyone's home. uh, And it's just coming straight from the government. And then we're in this weird spot where we're trying to do what we can. but there's, you know, we're, we're trying to get away with stuff. It almost feels like. Well, we're in a special situation. You know, we, we are not under the ministry of education. We have our, our licenses with the U S embassy. So the school doesn't have to run when, when Egypt says all schools close, we've been able to stay open and we have run very diligently to the CDC guidelines. Okay. So when they have, we, we, we're running, you know, a blended model, we're running the, spacing that you need when kids get we've had some kids get infected and some parents and some teachers then we we remove them from school we isolate so we've yeah. run systems that have been difficult and like we've, we've had 12 months of challenge and the, since august 18 the, the months of staying open have been a super challenge for the health department for the nurse who spends her weekends you know contact tracing and the principal who's contact tracing it, it's it's a super challenge but i think we have been very fortunate to have the kids back and now back full-time, even blended. We had them back when we first started the sports on the blended model. The kids only came on the two days that they were in. And then the other kids came on the other two days. Okay. And then finally we were able to move that to this new model. I think I have a very forward thinking director who, you know, Jared Harris supports Cairo American college very diligently in, in trying to get kids back. He, he's a student oriented administrator and he, and he pushes to get the kids back in and doing stuff. So I'm fortunate to work with someone like that. And when, when, when we have been able to go back to running activities and athletics, our activities have been running virtual from this, just like when we started the athletics after the first couple of weeks, we put the activities virtual. Some of those are running live, but the, like the drama, they're filming the stuff. They're going to make a little production, but they're going to film it. And everything is socially distanced and spaced and, it's it's a super challenge but it, yeah, yeah. It, you just go on that's that's great to hear because uh we are the international school uh built the bill Elman, the director we are part of the u.s embassy too and we're a non-profit school so we don't fall on the ministry of education but we were not allowed to open uh we, we were shut down too the whole the whole country is shut down so that's great to hear that you guys could continue in some kind of way the kids could continue to do their practices and that's great uh, we were not that fortunate actually well, there's exactly. some things, there's some edicts put forward by the government that we feel we have to follow and some sure. we can say that we're um, not under under that and we're safely doing it this way, but it's a fine line. And, and I think the director has been fortunate in pushing, pushing, pushing to keep it going. H- hasn't had, a, you know, a lot of trouble with governments. I mean, I think the community is, is always a problem. People are always questioning why, when, how, you know, but mm-hmm. that's, that's part of being a school administrator. That's, that's what we do. And, you know, we just try to keep 
going back to doing it safely and we've been lucky. You know, I think it's been great working at CAC that we've been able to run these programs and I hope next year we can return to a more real like situation where the kids get to travel or at least play local competition and, and run, run our teams. That would be our goal starting you know, when we come back in August, but we will see what November is like. We're scheduled to travel in November and, you know, that has not been determined yet. And that's starting to come quick. It's March. It's the mm-hmm. third month. <laughs> we travel in, in the 11th month of this year. You have a crystal ball. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. So, uh, Scott, in the bio you sent over and just in some of our emails, you know, it's it's really obvious that, uh, you know, not only are you involved in sports uh, for your job, but you you're ten. it seems like you stay really active. Um, you know, you mentioned skiing in China and uh, the one time didn't work to push it back. You were horseback riding. Um, what, are, what are some things that you do to stay active, you know, outside of school? Um, you know, now that you're in Cairo, what, what do you what do you do? Um. I'm a simple guy. I, I do in my life. I do. I, there's certain things that I like. So here in Cairo, I cycle. We, we ride a mountain bike. We have a beautiful area that's a, a, a national protected area that's only seven kilometers here. I, I was out there riding this morning before the sunrise. We do some once once or twice a week. We get to go out in the morning. So mountain bike riding in the Wadi Digla protectorate has been amazing here in Cairo. But in the summer, I'm a lifeguard. And okay. I've always been an avid skier and a ski coach and a ski patroller. So when I was home at Christmas, I do some randonnée, some um, backcountry skiing. And I, so me, my life here in Cairo is I go from school to my home and taking care of home stuff and my bicycle rides. And there's not much other than that until there's a holiday and I can go to travel and see um, in our hike, we, I, I, my family, we were hiking at Mount St. Catherine, a beautiful spot. If you ever get to go to the Sinai Peninsula in life, it's, it's an amazing, amazing place. And when I was here 20 years ago, I did it with my wife and I did it with my wife and daughter this past um, October. And it's an unbelievable place to, to hike Mount St. Catherine for sunrise. It's tough to do because you get to leave in the middle of the night. And then in the summer, I, I mountain bike and I swim and I surf, I surf a stand-up paddleboard, and then I try to get ready in the fall for a ski season, whatever it may be, even if it's only a few days, I train to get ready for it. And next year we're going to do a um, half Ironman triathlon in in uh, November here in Cairo, I mean, here in Egypt at, at, at the Red Sea. So we will train for the bike, the swim bike, and we're going to have a nice 13 mile walk for the run. Okay. I'm past the age where I can run it in that race. It isn't a race, but we want to do it and it'll be fun to do the swim bike. And then we will have a nice 13 mile walk and we're going to do a half triathlon. So. That's, that's what I was going to ask. Which one's the toughest for you? Cause for me, it's swimming. I, I struggle in the pool. Well, swimming is easy for me because I've been a lifeguard and I, I started, you know, doing, I became competent as an open water swimmer. So swimming is not hard, but that's the shortest part of the race. It's not a swimmer's race. It's a runner's race. Mm-hmm. so and my running days are done but that doesn't i don't want to stop so i'm going to have a hopefully a pain-free 13 mile walk yeah there you go <laughs> now, same here scott i always say it's too slippery outside to run so my my running days are over here <laughs> it's too slippery yeah, in mongolia when your running days are over. that's good to hear <laughs> so, scott, so yeah, you've been in sorry go ahead go ahead 
No, I was going to say in, in some of the things that I think have been successful for me here in Cairo is I was able to um, do a refurbish of the indoor gymnasium. And the gym is built in the 70s. And, and it's a beautiful wood floor, very well lit, nice size indoor gymnasium. I think it may be the best basketball court in the country. Even if you go wow. to the National Stadium, I think they're indoors. Their gym is like an NBA gym where you pull in the, the baskets. And I'm sure the flooring there is good, you know, and the lighting there is good. But this is a nice gym. So I was able to put in new baskets, all new baskets from, from Holland, from Schilder, and, and then these nice drop-down baskets. I had the yeah, floor repainted, re repainted. I put in new lights. I put in a new divider curtain. I put in new bleachers. So the gym, you know, the gym has been kind of refurbished. New volleyball standard equipment for where it used to mount on the wall. I've moved it to the center. I just, you know, I think I've made an improvement in the gym that I was fortunate to be able to come up with the funding. You have to finagle to come up with that kind of funding. It was in a time of year where we had a good rate exchange, um, created some some funding of availability. And we have, a, I think, of, of the things I've done here at CAC, that's been a great thing. And the other one is creating this league of called ISAA, with some of the schools that left ISST that weren't um, in the new format of the ISST. We were out, we didn't have a league, so we met together and we created this new league. We had one tournament and then COVID hit, but I think that the, the league is healthy and in place and we will go back to having tournaments three times a year. In, um, in the fall, it will be cross country, soccer, volleyball. In the winter, it will be swimming, basketball. And then in the spring, I think there's enough schools to do a softball a baseball, a track and field, a tennis, and a golf. And how many schools are part of that league, uh, Scott? 15. Wow. There are 15. There are about eight, eight from, from the old ISST. And then there's some schools from Switzerland that were in a, 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 a league in Switzerland that kind of came to us. So there are three or four schools from that, from the Netherlands and from Switzerland. And then we have a couple other schools that just – fit in that we picked up one in Spain, maybe another one, maybe a fifth one in England. There were four in England from the ISST league. So yeah, it's cool. We were fortunate, but building that was, it was a chore and we were, you know, we were kind of hung out to dry and didn't have something and had to create something. And I think it worked out really well with the, with a number of athletic directors from, from various different schools, from British school in Netherlands, from the ACS schools in London, both in Hillingdon, in, in um, Egham, and in Cobham, and then there's another school in London, a TASA school in London that was very good and instrumental in getting this league put together. How so long what, did that take to uh, to kind of get yeah. everyone on the same page to a point where you could have tournaments and stuff? Well, you know, most of us, or we had an, a core of, of schools that came from ISST. So we followed that format. We took their yeah. handbook, we were part of that organization, and we molded it into the new um, into the new league. So it, it wasn't as difficult as you think because we had a model and a format to follow. So we kept the dates, we kept the seasons sure. and we, you know, and then we got other schools to come in that, that, you know, were interested in a quality organization. And I think that's what it is. And it's, you know, great opportunity for kids to engage in, in sports at a, at a, at the level that fits. I think it fits well, you know, the tournaments we had were good and I think mm -hmm. they'll continue to be good. Yeah, because we have a similar uh, thing that we try to do here, Scott, because we always go to China. And, and that, now that's getting harder for us to go down 
especially now. So we're looking into moving a bit more to uh, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan to try to work with those guys and over there to find a new league. How long does it take to set that up? How long did you guys take to start the first competition? Well, we 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 set it up from from when, when that happened in, in September of 18. We put together tournaments for November of 19. So it took one year, yeah. Um, yeah. but it was it was the schools had been used to that format. So you know, eight yeah. of the schools easier just moved moved along. I think starting something from scratch. If you're looking for new schools, you guys compete in Acomis in, in yeah. yes. with, with China schools. Both of your schools do. Um, the school I'm at now doesn't currently. Um, we're interested in joining. The, I was at a different school in uh, Mongolia last year for the previous seven years, and we did compete in Acomis. But now I'm at the British School of Ulaanbaatar, and uh, they're not a member of Acomis currently. Yeah, but I mean, I think Acomis may, may welcome you. I mean, uh, I was there yeah, for the yeah. very beginning of Acomis. <clears throat> Engine, and um, I think it's a great organization that serves schools and kids, and in in a, in a in a big way, you know, a lot a lot of schools get to compete. So I don't know if, if you want to do that or you want to do something there in Mongolia with Uzbekistan. I don't know how many different schools you have. You need to have enough critical mass that are yep. that are going to follow the same seasonal format or whatever the format is, but you have to have a system. Yeah. Yeah, Akam has always been, because uh, we are now in a new division together with IST. Uh, we started that two years ago. So uh, hopefully we can invite them next year to Mongolia. And we're going to IST with, for soccer. But for us, with a lot of uh, kids from different nationalities, it's hard to get visas to China. It's a, it's a, it's wow. a difficult, very difficult. Um, you know, I told the story over and over. I had to stand in line for 12 hours in minus 40 with pollutions a few times. It's very tough. So we we still want to stay in Acomis, uh, but also looking for other options for our kids, you know, to create new connections, make new friends. Uh, so I think we have about eight schools interested. So uh, yeah, we can still follow the Acomis format, but uh, it's take about a year to organize that. Okay, that's that's good to know for us. But your is that more of a local league, or will you need to travel like you do for Acomis in in the eight school league that you're talking about? Yeah, so I think we have about three, four schools in Mongolia, adding two from Kazakhstan, two from Uzbekistan. So we're looking at eight kind of school league uh, where we have invitationals uh, every year or we travel over here, they, they, they come over there, something like that. It's not still, we're still talking with uh, over there, uh, but we have to look for something. Uh, we will stay in Akamis, but it's getting harder going to China for us. It's getting harder and harder. So uh yeah, yeah, I just don't know if, if it's able to do both. Sometimes it's not you're not yeah. able to do travel if you have the same. And I don't know if that other league wants to go on the same schedule, but maybe make a little league of your Mongolia schools, little four four school league, mm -hmm. and get that to work well, and then see if you can coordinate to have those other two schools from from Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan or those whatever countries you're talking yeah. and join. I don't know. There may be a way to do that if you wanted to talk to that in detail. We could do that on the phone or another time. Appreciate it. Appreciate sure. it. Uh, no, I, I think it's doable, but it's, you know, we ran a great league in Tianjin, Beijing, and it, and it created great local opportunities for during a season. So we'd play our games with them. And then we actually, we set up a little one in Tianjin too. So we kind of had a lot of options, but you know, there were more schools available. And, and then we went to Acomis at the end of season yeah. from ISD. And here, here at CAC, we just play local competition, the other international schools here, and that's good. We, can, we, we often have a local, we have a little CISA tournament, a, a Cairo schools tournament, yeah. and then, then our teams would go off or host 
the big end of season um, ISAA event. Yeah, it's great, uh, Scott, because it's the hardest thing for us is to find quality schools to work with. Seed uh, and I have been working for that for the last few, uh, four or five years. Uh, yeah. So now we have five reliable schools that follow our philosophy. Uh, so we try to expand that slowly. But there's not much competition out here for us. So we're always looking for other options. Uh, Academies is great. Kids love it to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's hard for us to go down. <laughs> but but if, if, if your local schools would also, if you could mold the schedule to fit Acamas. Yeah. And not that that's perfect, but I think you need to have something that's the same. So it, as long as you can create a schedule that's the same in the time of year when you do things, I mean, and that that's a challenge, I think, for some schools. Yeah, and that's, we, yeah, that, that's we your first step. Follow that, uh, we follow the Acamas schedule. But yeah. it does run into issues a little bit with some of the uh, the national tournaments are on a completely different schedule. So like uh, some of the schools, I know our school competes, uh, they have a team that competes in the football national tournament. Um, and so like that happens in the fall and Acamas footballs in the, in the spring. And <laughs> it is what it is. It's not a, not a huge issue, just a small little hurdle to, to work. Through. Well, there are going to be challenges, but I, I just think yeah. a- after doing this a bit that, you need to find a, a format, a schedule that works of when you're doing the seasons. And yeah. if Acamas is what drives it, then, then you know, your local league probably is in your best interest to run to that schedule. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're going to have to make that determination. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But that's a challenge for sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, we're getting close to the, the end of our time. I know we, we allotted a, about half an hour, 40 minutes or so. Um, do you have any final tips for uh, athletic directors, whether they're just starting out or maybe early on in their careers? Um, you know, we talked about a lot of stuff uh, throughout in the last half hour or so, but uh, kind of any final tips or parting wisdom? I think it's a pleasure to see you guys and you are, you know, per se young athletic directors and doing the NIAAA training and engaging in these kinds of things where you interact with other athletic directors and other activities directors and you hear things and see things. So I would, I would encourage you to, to try to build something with your local school or your local community, the extended community in, in the city where you are working. And I would say that to anybody. I mean, that you need to first try to make opportunities for your kids locally. And then I think the travel and the opportunity to go play abroad is huge in kids' lives. I've had both my, my, my daughter's a, a senior this year, and she's had the rough go of being in the, in the bad end of the COVID deal. Yeah. But you know, she's had a great time in competing. She, that's what she does. She plays sport. So she's gone to three seasons a year all her high school career, and my son did the same thing. And you know, he was here and graduated in 2018. So keep giving kids opportunities to engage you know, in – in sound sporting or activities opportunities in your local area and then push it to go abroad and to, you know, travel and to have opportunities to engage in sound, you know, competition or events that you travel to. And I think that's, that's what we do as international educators and athletic directors. And so it was a pleasure to speak with you guys today. I, I, I'm, I am, and it's an honor for me to be here and, and get to speak to you guys. So thank you very much. 
Tata, I really appreciate your feedback because it actually really makes sense. You know, there's a lot of opportunities for our kids, but, you know, there's a lot of steps that we can make and take here in Mongolia still. Uh, it's Our league is very small. And we're actually, uh, we did a, a coaches PD last September uh, where we tried to educate and help the coaches here in Mongolia to grow and, and share their philosophy. So I think we need to make some some steps first locally before we look for these other options. And we follow Acumis, which is that works. But there's a lot of steps we can make locally first. So uh, I want to thank you for that uh, feedback. That really helps us. Uh, like, like I said, it's a pleasure. And, you know, just keep training your coaches, getting your, lo your, your local coaches to fit the parameters. They just had coaches meetings for, for the spring season and the number of things that they have to do. They, they can get CPR training. They can do some child protection training. Some of that stuff is free. Have them do a two-hour course. Give it to them and put that as part of, of what you're doing when you, when you sign them up to be coaches. And everybody goes from that. And hopefully, if you can benefit one kid one time, you've, you've done a good job. So I appreciate it, boys. Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate it, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day. Take care, gentlemen. Yeah, you too. Let's, let's meet in person one day, okay? Definitely. We Definitely. will. <laughs> Say hi to Bill and Eleanor and the fam. Take care. Will do. Will do. Have a good okay. day. Okay. Thanks, guys. See you. Yeah. See you, Scott. Okay. We just finished our talk with Scott Fitzgerald from Cairo, Egypt. Uh, it's lovely to talk to him. Uh, he shared some great stuff. And uh, yeah, thank you, Scott, for being on our podcast today. Yeah, it was really good to talk to Scott. Um, I had met him just through some of the courses that we had taken with the NIAAA. And, uh, you know, he wasn't one of the key speakers. He wasn't one of the presenters, but he just stood out as somebody who like, yeah, this guy gets it. He knows what he's talking about. Um, you know, I mentioned putting things in place to just make sure you get get the stuff done you need to. Because I feel like as, a, as an athletic director in these international schools, you know, sometimes you can feel like a chicken with your head cut off, right? Like there's just hundred different things you got to do in a hundred different places. And you got to make sure that these things don't happen or, you know, there's, there's just a lot on your plate and, uh, you know, just being well organized and getting you know, just simple checklists in place can, can be really helpful. Um, yeah, it was yeah, just, uh, easy to talk to, um, just really down to earth, uh, good advice. Yeah. Humble guy. And I haven't met Scott before this podcast, but you talked to really good about him, uh, a systems guy. And I love that, you know, these systems are very valuable. Um, you know, discipline equals freedom, right? So it's, it's those have those systems are very transferable to any place. Um, humble, down to earth, uh, talks a lot about the kids. It's all about the mm -hmm. kids. Uh, he knows exactly what he stands for. And I think that's very important. Uh, I love this feedback about making our local league better. There's steps that we can take there just to, yeah bring it to the next level. And then we will look outside again, you know, for different uh, ventures for the kids. Uh, so yeah, great feedback. Yeah. I thought it was really, uh, it's always nice to, to, to talk to, uh, you know, people involved in the PE space that actually yeah. practice what they preach. You know, he's very active, even in his bio mentioning ski trips and uh, mountain bike trips and skiing. And, you know, it's, it's very obvious that he, he kind of practice what he preaches, you know, you know, you yeah, exactly. talk about being involved, being active, and uh, he does that. So, you know, he's a great guest, uh, really good guy to talk to. And uh, I, I look forward to actually keeping in contact with Scott because um, he's got a wrestling program. And uh, that's one thing I would uh, still on my list of things to do if we ever go back to school. So we'll see. 
Yeah, great to have Scott on our podcast today. Um, it's great to meet these kind of people. So I would encourage everybody to follow the 900 courses from the NYAAA, not only for the content, uh, not only for the things you learn, but for the connections you make uh, at those conferences, at the at the courses. So uh, follow the NYAAA 900 courses and you will meet people like Scott and they can help you. You know, uh, we learned a lot today and I'm sure if we send him an email tomorrow, he responds back with help, uh, with, with tips and tricks. You know, mm-hmm. so find people who know more than you and, and, and learn from them. So uh, again, thank you so much, Scott, for being on our podcast today. And if you find that you're learning stuff from uh, this show or our shows, make sure you like and subscribe the video. Helps us out a ton and uh, we'll hopefully get this in front of uh, other people's eyes that uh, can uh, learn something as well. So we'll see you next time. See you next time.